And I am going to continue our series that we've been in, Better Together. We've been talking about the idea of pursuing biblical community. What does that look like? How do we actually benefit from doing life together in the context of this church community? And this week, we're going to focus on the idea of hospitality. Now, before you start to write this off, it may not be exactly what you're thinking. And we're going to look at some biblical text and draw out some truths about what does that really mean? Because it's more than uh, hosting a potluck. There's there's actually a lot more that we're going to dig into today. And I want to start with a story that you're probably familiar with if you've been around church for a while. Um, And I'm not going to actually read it to you. I put the reference up there because I think sometimes with these really familiar stories, we get really used to the language and we can just kind of glaze over it. So I'm just going to kind of give you a summary. But if you're familiar in Luke 10, the story of the Good Samaritan, we know that there's a man who's in distress, right? and uh, in great need, and and he gets passed by, like by the people that are supposed to be the, the good church people, right? Like, what do they do? They, they actually cross to the other side of the road, as we know, to, to like avoid this. And the, the, the least expected person actually is the one that stops and helps him. And does the equivalent in in our modern day of not only stopping and saying, hey, are you all right, but actually like picking him up and taking him to uh, somewhat the equivalent of what we would consider today a a hospital and not only takes him there, but but pays uh, in advance for his care and says, and if it goes beyond this, I'll come back and, and, and take care of the rest. This story illustrates something. You might not think of that story primarily as hospitality. Maybe that's more that's more of a, a compassion thing um, because he was moved with compassion. He saw a, a, a need. And, and we can't forget the uh, cultural barriers that this man had, had to cross. You know, at this time, like Jews and Gentiles didn't, didn't intermingle. It, it would have been uh, looked upon very negatively, um, but yet his eyes saw something that that transcended those barriers and those differences. And what I would would suggest to you, I I just don't want to spend a lot of time on this up front, but to to set us up for where we're going. As we think about this idea of hospitality, uh, there there is a part of it that is compassion, but hospitality uh, actually takes the time. Rather than, than going out of your way to avoid it, he actually crosses the road to get to the problem. He actually goes, uh, he could have just as easily done as the ones before him and, and said, you know, I'm, I'm on a schedule. I've got an appointment. I've got somewhere to go. Uh, I'm probably going to be uh, looked upon poorly for the beginning because crossing this cultural bar- barrier. But he actually goes out of his way to meet someone's need. He crosses a barrier and, and he expresses hospitality in the way that he cares for this stranger. Matthew chapter 35, I'm sorry, 25, verse 35, 
Jesus tells us, For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. See, what, what I'm trying to, to move us towards here at the front is this idea that it's really easy to be hospitable, if you will, with our friends, with those that we like, already know, get along with, those who are like us. But what I want to help us reframe in our mind is that Jesus' idea of hospitality doesn't exclude those people, but it expands it to include those that are different from us, those that are a stranger, those that have different political affiliations, those that have different religious convictions. See, hospitality, just as we talked about with unity and, and we having those, those eyes to, to see people for their created value, that, that is a, goes right along with this idea that hospitality does something for folks, even in spite of those differences. Hospitality shows care and concern and honor and meets needs for uh, one phrase that we could use to describe it is the least of these. Jesus said, if we were to go on in these verses in Matthew, if you've done this to the least of these, you've done it to me. Jesus would also tell us that when we give to the poor among us, it's like you're lending to the Lord because he is concerned about those folks. And so hospitality invites us to intentionally, at times, inconvenience ourselves for the benefit of others. To, and, and another way that I like to think about it, you know, when we think of hospitality in a really natural context, you know, I'm, I'm hosting a party for my family, my friends, my small group, you know, it's called hosting, right? Because you are sort of uh, facilitating things, you plan things, because you want those that you've invited into your home in that context to, to have a good time. You want them to be cared for, you want them to be fed, you want them to feel loved, you want them to just enjoy their time, right? And many of you uh, actually have a real gift for hospitality. I, I really love that that is woven into the fabric of our, our church family. But I want to, again, extend that into this other context in that what we're doing in our everyday life as we come across people in distress or in need or just people that are different from us, we're hosting the presence of God. And we're inviting them into that experience, right? It's like we talk about carrying the atmosphere of heaven, and, and sometimes I think, well, maybe we can't quite get our mind around what, what do we mean by that. It means that as a believer in Jesus, I'm actually trying to host his presence all the time. I'm trying to live in a kingdom-centric way. At just Again, as we talked about before, seeing with the eyes of the Father listening with our spiritual ears to see where the kingdom might be popping up around us so that we can partner with it and bring that reality that we are trying to live in and we know it's a tension, right? Like, I don't think we feel like we're in the kingdom all the time. 
But, but our, our struggle or our tension in this life is we're trying to take that that we know and experience and actually like reach up. This is just metaphorical, but reach up and, and get some of that that we're experiencing, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, and actually pull that down and release it on the earth. We actually are inviting those that we come in contact with to come and experience what I'm trying to host, and that's the love and the kindness and the presence of God. And sometimes in order to do that, we have to, again, inconvenience ourselves, cross the road, go to a place that maybe you wouldn't normally go, go into a place that's maybe a little darker than you would be comfortable with as the Lord leads you. But the purpose for that is that we are trying to bring the atmosphere of heaven, the kingdom of God, the light of Jesus into those places. And that, my friends, is just as much a part of hospitality as hosting a party with our friends. So now I want to kind of flip it the other direction because this is a uh, classic both-and situation. It's not an either-or. So I think there's this aspect of hospitality that is very outward-focused, that as we host heaven, we, we need to reach out, we need to go to places, we need to meet people where they are. How, how many of you realize that one of the cultural shifts that we've experienced in the church world, uh, and I don't think it started with COVID, but I think COVID accelerated what was happening. In the most recent decades, uh, many churches have found success in, primarily in what's called an attractional model. In other words, for a church community, the primary way that we could reach people and grow was to have a really excellent Sunday gathering and just like invite people and gather people to that. And, and don't hear me say that, we're, that we don't want to do that. Like we, we, we believe in excellence. Uh, we want to have uh, good services. But what I believe is happening in, in this cultural shift is, uh, you know, 50 years ago, you couldn't get this kind of information without coming to the meeting. Communication and technology has changed to where you can, uh, you don't even have to go, I, I, see I'm dating myself, I, you don't even have to go on the computer. It's on your phone, it's on your Apple, like it's, it's everywhere. You can hear, you know, 50 sermons a day. Like everybody has a voice, everybody has a platform, and so our primary growth engine for church is, is no longer primarily focused on the Sunday morning gathering. Now, God tells us, do not forsake your assembling together. So we're, we're not, I don't think we're ever going to stop meeting. It's really important what we do here. But we can't get tricked into the idea that it's the main thing. That, that what happens in this 90 minutes on Sunday morning is the definition of the church. It's not. The church, and we know, yeah, you know, we've heard it a million times, the church is not the building, it's the people. Okay, so that goes back to what we talked about. What are we hosting? What are we carrying? And my point is, I don't think we'll see the level of effectiveness that we're hoping for asking everybody to come into the building to experience the church, which is you and I. I think the church is going to have to actually go out to where people are at because so many people in our culture have determined, now, right or wrong, their perception is their reality, 
many people don't think that the church is relevant anymore. They don't think that it actually matters to their life. And our job is to live our lives in a way that we demonstrate that the kingdom way of life is actually different. That it actually looks different. That those things that you struggle with, you can actually have help for those things. Now, we know, again, that doesn't mean that we pretend. It doesn't mean that we pretend like everything is perfect for us. We don't struggle. We've got it figured out. And when those things do happen, we don't, we don't try to hide them. See, what I believe that, that the current cultural moment is looking for more than anything else, because I, I don't think that, that most people in our culture are actually turned off to Jesus. I think they're turned off to what they've seen the church become. They're not turned off to the reality of Jesus, but we have to actually demonstrate what that looks like. And what I think this, this cultural moment is crying out for more than anything is authenticity. And, and that is not primarily expressed, again, by what we do here on Sunday morning. I, I had an advertisement show up in my email uh, inbox this week. And, you know, as a pastor, like, you get all, there's always, you know, a ton of things, you know. Here's how to grow your church from 50 to 526 minutes. You know, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but. Um, and I don't look at most of these things. Um, but I, I saw this thing, and, and it was all about how to help your church close the, the Monday to Sunday gap. Um, and and I, you know, I'm not even going to go into like, their perspective on that, but I just want you to think about like, that, that there shouldn't be a gap. If, but if in our mind, Sunday is when we come to church, and at 11.30 or whatever time we, we get done today, then we're done, then, then there is a gap. But, but what I'm trying to, to move us towards is going from we come to the house of God to visit him, I'm trying to move us from that to he actually inhabits us. We actually dwell with him 24-7, that we carry, the, and, and when we come together on Sunday, we sharpen each other. We help each other. We encourage each other with our stories and with our testimonies and with praying for each other when we've had hard time. Like, there's, there's tons of benefits to the things we do when we gather. But the primary activity of being the church is going to happen after we leave and before we come back next weekend. That, that's just the reality. We cannot expect to change the world in 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. So my point that I'm trying to get to, I may have went a little off track there for a minute, um, is that in the same way that we have to go, we have to cross the road, we have to go do all of those things, we also do have to welcome. We have to welcome the stranger. And this is where I, where I was starting to go when I said it, it's not an either or, it's a both and. And so we need to be willing to always go but we also need to expect and welcome those. And, and we could flesh this out in several different contexts. But I simply want to focus this morning, something we've talked about before, that, 
that we aspire to have as a value here at our church is that we want to actually have what I call a radical welcome. A radical welcome means, just as we talked about with communion, it's like everybody is welcome to come to the table. You don't have to, uh, you know, fulfill a list of requirements before you can come to the table and taste and see that the Lord is good. We invite everyone, and we want to have a, a, a culture of invitation. Now, what where it gets tricky is, if you stop with just welcome, well, what are we welcoming you to? We're welcoming you to taste and see that the Lord is good, and we're welcoming you to experience all that he has. Well, I can tell you in that context, we're all going to experience transformation. So I like to say, come just as you are. We welcome you. We welcome anyone to come to the table but the Lord says, but let me change you. Let me mold. And that doesn't uh, come across in a negative context. It's because the Lord in his greatness, in his wisdom, sees the bigger picture. He sees our potential. He sees what we can be. And sometimes to experience freedom from the problem that you have in your life, the place where you're hung up and stuck or, or whatever, the Lord might actually have to change some things. He might have to take some things away. And, and we have to develop and learn how to trust him in that process. That's a message for another week. But we need to be the kind of people that, again, in our individual context and in our broader church community, we need to welcome those that are different from us, those that have different convictions. Now, it doesn't mean we can't be clear about our convictions. And we can share those things with clarity and sincerity because, again, I think that the people that might be turned off to our message, in some cases, it's because we've actually not been clear. We, we've, we've been vague. We've not been clear because I, I'm trying to remember where I read this. But basically, someone was sharing their... Uh, someone who would consider themselves outside of the church. And we're sort of being questioned and having this dialogue about, you know, what, well, what, what do you think? And their, their comment, which struck me because I think we would probably find that more people than we realize feel this way, is that their problem had to do with authenticity. In other words, I wouldn't be uncomfortable with someone else's beliefs if I can see that that they really believe them. Like if they actually carry those convictions in an open and honest way and, and without the expectation that I have to agree with them to be accepted and loved in the context of relationship. I could give you countless examples, but I don't want to stay on this too long. <coughs> We've got one more area that I want to cover as we explore this idea of hospitality. Let's flip over to Mark, chapter 16. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. And you might think, well, Matthew, we already talked about the, the, the going aspect. We did. But what I want to kind of offer to you as, as a final thought in exploring this idea of hospitality is that hospitality actually in its truest form 
is evangelism. Now, for many of you, this word evangelism has a lot of baggage. We think of, you know, maybe you don't all relate to this, but I grew up in a context where, you know, that meant Thursday night visitation program, which means going and knocking on doors and handing out gospel tracts and and interrupting people's dinners and having awkward conversations and sometimes even having doors slammed in your face. Like, so, so I get that. And for some of you, it conjures up images of, of folks that you've known that have been very vocal about their faith to the point that it was pushy, that, that it was inconsiderate, that it wasn't uh, necessarily inauthentic, but it wasn't uh, warm and accepting and genuine. It was actually, it's actually off-putting because it was sort of like, if you don't uh, agree with me, uh, then you're wrong. You can think of... Uh, Preachers from the, you know, not naming names, but you know, the the hellfire and brimstone. You we're gonna we're gonna scare the hell right out of you to get you to Jesus. Um, there, I know we all have we all have different ideas and concepts, and and if we were to read further, um, read more of the story of the Good Samaritan, you know that that Jesus tells that parable. After he has the interaction with the person we call the rich young ruler, who comes and says, you know, what, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus answers him before he sort of gives this illustration. And what I'm trying to propose to you is, when we think about things like love your enemy, love your neighbor as yourself, we sometimes... Uh, default to like the graduate level you know we think i've got to become a a, a a raging street evangelist i've got to get a word of knowledge for every single person i see i i've got to uh you know find those people that i consider my enemy and 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 engage with them tomorrow like what i would propose to you is uh jesus is painting a picture of of what that can look like but but let's let's lower the bar let, let's not go straight to graduate level. If you find the idea of evangelism intimidating, let's start in kindergarten. And I'm like, I'm putting myself, start with your neighbor. And, and in this story, the young man, of course, asks, you know, because he thinks he's going to get one over on Jesus. He thinks he's too smart. Oh, well, well who is my neighbor? And, and Jesus goes straight to that, well, well, your enemy is your neighbor. And that's true. And, and we need to pray for those who persecute us. We need to love our enemies. But I would propose for us, let's start with our actual neighbors. And what I mean by that is if I were to, to have a sheet of paper here, and I drew your house in the middle, and I drew eight boxes around your house, do you know the names of all eight people? I know for some of you that you might have to go a little farther <laughs> to find eight neighbors. But let's start there. Do you actually know the name? Now, now it can't be, you know, uh, the guy that drives the red truck that I wave at. Do you know their name? This is what I'm talking about. This idea of being hospitable, of being neighborly, is actually a form of evangelism. So we don't all have to uh, be at that level of, you know, well, I've got to be prepared to give 
a you know 30-minute gospel dissertation to all of my neighbors this weekend. No, just learn their name. Learn their name. Start a relationship. Learn their kids' names. Learn something interesting about their life. I heard this story recently um, from our national director of Vineyard USA, Jay Pathick, who wrote a book which I would love to recommend to you called The Art of Neighboring, where this idea of, of your eight actual neighbors comes from. But he's telling this story of when he and his wife were, were trying to, to, well, before he'd written the book, but you know they'd been trying to put this into practice. Again, you know, being authentic, not wanting to, like, let's, let's do this. Let's lead by example. And they had this one particular neighbor that just, uh, for whatever reason, se- seemed not super open, to, you, you know, to conversations and things. Just, you know how it is. Like, somebody just seemed kind of, kind of closed off to that. But they consistently kept reaching out and trying to, you know, say hello when they saw them, trying to learn their name. And, and they yeah, they'd learned name. And, and uh, you know, I think it probably even invited them to church, you know, done, done the things that we all would, would try to do. And, I mean, it may have been a number of years that they had, had tried this, and it's like it never, it never progressed anywhere. And that, that's like we can feel like, well, this is so low level, it's not going to do any heavenly good, right? So as, as the story goes, he tells the story, and after all of this time has passed, um, and they've never been open to those conversations about Jesus, about whatever. And, and one night, Jay's wife, Danielle, has a dream about the neighbor next door. And so the next day they wake up and she has to run and tell the neighbor about the day. And I'm not going to share the, the personal details. But she goes and shares this with, with the, the wife of the family, the, the mother of the family. And it turns out that the personal thing that she had shared from the dream, uh, she had just the day before gotten a cancer diagnosis. And all of a sudden that door was swung wide open. And because she knew, even though she was not open to faith, but she knew that they were. She had seen them walk out a patient, consistent lifestyle of being a good neighbor. And probably in her mind, that's all it was. These are friendly people. These are good neighbors. But Jay and Danielle knew it's more than that. We're seeking to find the places where the, where the door to the kingdom is open. And as it turns out, as a, as a subsequent result of those interactions, that lady ends up giving her life to the Lord and getting baptized. And both of her sons get saved and baptized. And it was the husband that was the holdout in this particular story. He just couldn't seem to, uh, to grasp on to the message. And, uh, and Jay developed a relationship with him, and he said, this continued on in this way for six years. And when the second son uh, came to get baptized, the husband finally came around. It's a slow kingdom coming, right? I know stories. uh, Let me tell you one more real quick. So the youth pastor that I grew up with, uh, I grew up under, he was a 
came when I was maybe in seventh or eighth grade to our church. First full-time youth minister. Um, and so I grew up and, and credit a lot of my, uh, my sort of preparation for ministry, uh, the things I was able to do in that youth group. And I uh, eventually became the youth pastor of that same church. But this was a man whose uh, father had, had not been a believer his entire life. And, you know, as you can imagine, especially being in ministry, it's kind of like, well, isn't that just like, you know, you just like take that for granted. Like if you're a, a preacher of the gospel, you should be able to get all your family saved. Well, we know that's not usually the case. He had lived his entire life and, and never wanted to have the same thing. You know, like never wanted to have those conversations with his son because I know his son. And of course, in a gentle way, you know, doesn't want to push it, but, but always, again, looking for where, where is there a, a crack in the door to, to, for the kingdom to come in. But he lived his life, again, in that consistent, humble way, keeping an invitation open. See, that's the thing about invitation, is that when you offer an invitation, it's with an open hand. And it's not up to you whether it's accepted or not. It's not up to you what's done with it. But we need to consistently be offering invitation. I want us to have a culture of invitation. And as this story goes... Um, because if you knew this man, I got to know him a little bit before he passed. Um, he was a very intelligent man, actually had multiple uh, U.S. patented inventions, a very successful business person, but just his personality is the kind of person, he wouldn't really want to talk about these kinds of things. It was kind of like you imagine, like even if there was some little part of him that believed, he wouldn't want to discuss those things. It was like religion and politics were... Were, were taboo. But he was sitting across the table one day from another pastor who was not his son. And, you know, it, it, it literally, his son had been praying for him for 26 years for the Lord to get a hold of him in whatever way that might be. And as he's sitting there talking to this uh, other pastor, he asks him a very pointed question. And he looks across at the pastor and he says, Well, if the stuff you say in that book there is true, I guess I believe it. And within, I think, three months after that, he passed away. 26 years, and then I only got to live 90 days. But my point is, we never know what the timeline's going to be. We never know how the small things that we do are going to give an opening. I can't get away from that. I know I keep saying it, but I just have that picture. It's like there, there's just a little crack in the door. But if we're the light and we put ourselves in proximity to that, it's going to start to spill through. Last illustration. When I put the kids to bed at night, typically, um, they, don't, we don't, they don't happen to have like a regular nightlight in their room. And so usually when we're going to bed, what I do is I reach in and I turn the closet light on. And I leave the door open a little bit, and we're singing songs, and then slowly as I go, I, I, I start to go. So, you know, it kind of brings the atmosphere down slowly. But, but what I want to point out to you is, you know, when that, that bright, it's probably a 60 or 100-watt bulb in that closet. Like, it's a pretty bright light. When that bright light is on in that bulb, it, unless that door is all the way closed and you've tucked blankets, like, 
wherever there's the tiniest crack, and I live in an older house, so there's plenty of cracks, you know, that, that light comes through. That's what we're talking about. Don't underestimate. If you're the light, just put yourself in proximity, develop a consistent culture of invitation, and look for those little cracks where your light can spill into somebody's life. And that, my friends, is a level of evangelism that we can all do. I'm not going to say that you don't keep pursuing it and, and, and step out and try bolder things as the Lord leads you, but I want to set the bar so low that you can't get under it, but we can all achieve it. Learn the names of your neighbors. And, and, don't, and don't make it philosophical. See, that's, that's what I think sometimes you know, we've done in church is we've taken that idea of our neighbor. Well, everybody's your neighbor. Whoever you come in contact well, there's truth in that. But sometimes we make something a metaphor and then we don't actually connect with it. It doesn't actually become tangible. It becomes, well, this is just a metaphor. And it's a nice story. I want to give you something that, that, that has meat to it. That you, you can, this is something I can do to see the kingdom come. Love your neighbors. Hospitality is evangelism. And, and I think... As I said again, in this cultural moment, this is the call to the church, is to return to these things that might seem so basic they're almost silly, but we've got to figure out, as the world changes, how do we take the timeless message and reality that the kingdom of God is near and actually get that to the places and people that it needs to get because as you can see, they're not knocking down the door to get in here. Many of them have written us off. And we've not got the opportunity and we can't afford to sit here and whine and complain about, listen to what they're saying about us. I think we're still relevant. Well, maybe they should just listen. No. It's our job to show up in a different way, to shine the light, to be the kingdom and constantly be inviting other people into it. That's hospitality as evangelism. And that, I think, is one of the things that the Lord is calling us as a church body to become. To become. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we welcome you to come and mold and shape and grip our hearts. Father, we invite you to renew in us a burden to reach the people that you've called us to reach, to reach our neighbors, not with a gospel track necessarily, but with love, with patience, with relationship, with deep care, so that when they inevitably run into trouble, we're the people that they call. When that moment of crisis comes, they look to the light that we carry. So, Father, would you come today, as you're already meeting with us and moving among us, would you come today and fill us again with your light? Give us boldness and courage to share the good news of Jesus. Come and 
inhabit our praises now as we turn our affections towards you. Move among us. Come Holy Spirit. Amen.